to Architecting. I'm your host, Angela Mazzi. You made it. This is the landing pad for raw honesty about connecting your career with your purpose. I'm going to give you the tools you need to be an unapologetic advocate for yourself and others, because if you're here, you believe that the space we surround ourselves in matters and you're committed to project by project building a better world for all of us. If you're with me, let's get architecting. Hey, Bright Lights, it's Angela, and thank you so much for joining me today for this episode of Architecting. I just got back a few days ago from a trip to Baltimore where I was a speaker at the Center for Health Design's Behavioral Health Workshop. And one of the things that really struck me being gathered in the room with these people who really are very passionate experts in this field is the profound need for spaces that really address the crisis that patients who are suffering from behavioral health disorders can often find themselves in, and the need not just to competently respond to those needs with a good design, but to really stand out and be an advocate. There's so much that needs to be changed from how reimbursements work to some of the codes related to care that really, really make it not an attractive cost model, that really make it a tough market. And there's a lot of disinvestment in this service line at a time when there's actually greater and greater need. And it's great to be in a community of people who want to not just talk about an issue or complain about what's wrong, but say proactively, what can we do together? Being an advocate means we're not competing with one another, but we're sharing our experiences and our knowledge. And together, we're working cooperatively to advance design of these spaces and to shine a spotlight on some of the very real issues that the staff and patients in these environments face and to begin to try to do what we can to volunteer even on the side of government involvement or code writing involvement. I mean, I don't know if you all know this, When codes and guidelines are written, there typically is a committee of experts that are formed to write the different sections, but there's also a review and comment period. So even if you're not someone who's helping to write these codes, if you just take the time to look at what's being proposed during the comment period, that is so helpful, and your input could make a difference. So rather than complaining about how restrictive a code is, you could choose to get involved and help change that code. And this morning, I had a wonderful opportunity to participate in AWA Lighting's Agora show. And this is a YouTube channel where they interview people who are really bringing important issues to the forefront. 
and I get to talk about salutogenesis and the health well-being axis, but there's so many other really tremendous voices in our profession who've had a chance to be featured on this show. So their advocacy there is so mission-driven. And it was really great to talk with Abhe, the host, who is passionate about so many of the same things that I am, and to even start to think about next leveling this. What more can we do besides raising awareness? How can we come together and make an even bigger impact? Because once you understand that architecture really is rooted in socio-cultural and socioeconomic issues, and that those issues impact disadvantaged socioeconomic populations the most in terms of well-being, how can you not be an advocate for change? Because architecture really is advocacy. I would hope that no one in this audience is just out there essentially making sculptural follies that you understand that there's a functional purpose to design with very real health, safety, and welfare conditions, and that health, safety, and welfare extends to well-being. The very real spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical impacts that our spaces have on us. And when we know this, and we do know this, there's enough research out there that we know it, we really can't stay silent anymore. We really can't just do what's expedient because we know what's right. We really can't just throw up our hands in frustration, but we have to work to be agents of change. And we have to do this by making sure that we not only engage and participate, but have the credentials that we need to actually speak with credibility and authority. When you say, well, I care about this, but I don't really care about being licensed or getting any specialty certifications or whatever, and you're only focused on some kind of system that you don't think you want to be part of or some kind of establishment that you can only see the flaws of, you're muting your microphone. You're turning off your ability to have impact because you're blunting your own credibility. When you don't speak up, when you let it go, when you just commiserate with your coworker, but don't say, how could I do it differently? What could we learn? How can we take this meta? A lot of times we only focus on the circumstances of the particular project we're working on and whether we did or didn't get what we thought should be in that project. But there's a much broader lesson to learn about how did we get here? How are budgets formed? How are particular projects funded? How can we design in such a way as to highlight the moments that matter, the non-negotiables, the essentials, so that when we have to adapt to market volatility or changes, we can still keep the integrity of what's going to make a project work and be in service to the people that use it. 
So how do we do that, right? You know, it, it's one thing to say, right on, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's another thing to be caught in the middle of a project that is suffering from a lack of willingness to embrace new ideas or change or very real in today's market budget or schedule constraints, availability of materials. We know that we can't stubbornly cross our arms and just say my way or the highway. We know that there are going to have to be compromises. But compromise isn't about rolling over and ceding our agency. Compromise is about give and take. It's about negotiating. It's about prioritizing. Sometimes we think just setting goals with our client or a vision is enough, and we think that they will hold to that no matter what, only to find out when when the fat hits the fire, that they're very willing to give up a lot of things that feel like nice-to-haves for the purely functional stuff, which we know isn't really going to serve them. And we're not doing anyone any favors when we just offer a lot of stuff up on the chopping block, but don't help our clients make apples-to-apples comparisons. When we let a contractor take the lead in making recommendations, but we don't supplement their recommendations with a pros and cons analysis of the very real impact that taking something away or changing something or downgrading it is going to have. An owner may reprioritize what they do if they understand all of the implications and in the end the net savings may not be worth it to them and they may choose to make a cut in another area. Really helping to set the stage that we're not just going to have goals and visions for projects, but we're going to identify certain non-negotiables. And we're going to do that based on outcomes that we want to have. And the design features linked to those outcomes get preserved. And the things that aren't as high of a priority become the things that are available to reduce or remove from the project later on. But when we don't do this, and we're at the mercy of the market, and our client can't put another penny into the project, it's really easy for them to give up something they never had just because your research tells you it might make it better. Or it might be really easy to say early on in a project that you'd love to have a public garden only to be willing to sacrifice it when the logistics of how you would control access and maintain it feel overwhelming to the client. So we not only have to identify the non-negotiables, but we need an action plan to back them up. So are we going to recommend that there be a contract for a maintenance service for certain design features, which will ensure that they are successfully maintained? 
do we want to be able to recommend a strategy or a change of operations that we can help them test using simulation models or augmented reality so that they really understand the true benefit of making a change to how they operate or staffing something differently, or having a decentralized versus centralized form of storage, for example. We need to really take architecture beyond buildings because when it's only about this building, it's really easy to only see the building as a shell, as a background, as an empty stage set on which we're gonna project activity. On the other hand, when we're designing for experience, we're actually able to have predictive outcomes that benefit our clients associated with design decisions. And that is a value add because it shows how things that our clients already care about already measure things like test scores or absenteeism or recruitment and retention or incidences of aggression or injuries or errors, all of these things that our clients care so much about for which there are industry standards for which they've been collecting data already over the years. How can we link design decisions to changing some of those outcomes. Because now, a metric that they're already invested in improving year over year becomes associated with certain design decisions. So now, it becomes easier to prioritize an element in a project because the client already understands the priority of that particular metric. I really recommend not just doing a goal-setting exercise with your clients, but for an architect to take that next step and start to actually create some hypotheses that will fulfill the goals, but that begin to bring in the metrics that the client already uses so that they start to see how these design decisions impact value. It's just another form of advocacy, but it's one that lets you fight a different fight when you're trying to keep an important element in the project because you're no longer playing defense when the project's over budget and everybody's saying, what can we throw overboard? Instead, you've already got the priorities so that it's much easier and much more seamless to go to the low priority things and say, let's work on these. Let's think about how we can calibrate these. Just to wrap it all up today, number one, I want you to clearly understand that architecture is an advocacy profession. And when you don't take a stand, you are muting your mic. You're not taking a stand for what really matters in the built world. Advocacy can show up in educating people, sending a message, speaking up, publishing any way that gets the message out to the broadest possible audience. So can you get on a podcast 
Could you publish an article? Could you speak at a conference? Could you speak at City Hall? Right? What could you do to put more of a spotlight on these issues? Number two, look at policies and regulations and codes, and work to be engaged in how they are written and how they are modified over the years. Show up, be part of the system of government, of city or neighborhood boards or commissions. Take a stand. Let your point of view, the vantage point you have as an architect, be there. Get the credentials you need to legitimize your authority in taking a stand for these issues. And number four, use data and values that the client already has to create hypotheses for design that support the goals and vision of the project. And make sure you keep your client updated as the design evolves as to which features are contributing to accomplishing that. Set priorities and make sure the non-negotiables are agreed to by all and understood. We really have such a tremendous honor to serve the world the way we do as architects. We make such a difference in the lives of the people that live, work, play, heal in our spaces. We simply must accept the true power that this role gives us and the accompanying responsibilities to be an advocate for the people that need us the most. If you'd like to learn more about advocacy, specifically around how the built environment impacts well-being, join me on Clubhouse. My partner, Megan Mazzocco, and I host a room in the Architecting Club every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, and we would love to have you join us. All you have to do is download the Clubhouse app and join the Architecting Club and you will be able to see all of our upcoming rooms and join us and ask questions of the guests that we have on each week. We've got some really exciting guests coming up who are going to talk about the role of education in advocacy, research and the built environment, and circadian lighting activism around water and quality of life issues. Lots of really good stuff, lots of stuff to tune in for. Plus, if you go to Clubhouse, you can access the room recordings for previous rooms. You can also find them at my website, architectingpodcast.com, on the Clubhouse tab. And remember, if you like this content, if you found it helpful, tell a friend. It really helps to build our community because together we can have so much more impact and be even more powerful advocates for a better built world. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to shows. Take care for now. Love you all so much. Bye. you for listening. You made it all the way to the end of the episode, which means you are committed 
to making yourself a priority so you can be empowered to do the work you were called to do in the world. How amazing is that? If you would like even more content just like this, please remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode. I would so appreciate it if you left an honest review too. Hey, I want you to know I'm here for you beyond the boundaries of this podcast. You can follow me on social media at Architecting Podcast or visit architectingpodcast.com to download some great free resources. Take care, everyone, and stay inspired. Mm-hmm.